Thank you, Gary. Thank you for being here today. So proud that you have come out in this cold, cold, blustery day, but we appreciate the opportunity to be here. We hope and pray that the time that we spend together will be profitable. If you are visiting, thank you for coming our way. We're always grateful to have you with us. We encourage you to continue to come. As always, if you're looking for a church home, we'd love to have you come and be a part of the work here. I know that they're calling for some tough weather. It's supposed to be coming this way this evening. I hope and pray that we don't get it, but probably will. I imagine if you are in school, you're wanting it. And I understand, I've been there. We're looking today at Hebrews chapter 11, the essentiality of faith. I want to begin our study together today by asking this question. How deep is your faith? Faith is an essential. That's what the writer says. As a matter of fact, in chapter 11, this is one of the great chapters in Scripture that deals with faith. The writer alludes to a number of great men and women of days gone by whose lives were adorned by faith and obedience to God. And those who demonstrated an active faith enjoyed great blessings from Almighty God. And I think the same is true today. If we live a life of faith in harmony with the will of God, then we will be blessed immeasurably. So I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to begin our study today together by, first of all, defining faith. I really believe the writer in Hebrews chapter 11 provides us with a glimpse into what faith is all about. We might say an explanation of faith. You remember he begins by saying faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen as yet. There are a couple of terms that I think it would be good for us to maybe just talk about for a moment or two. When the writer said faith is the substance, the word there really points to the idea of an undergirding, a foundation, if you please. Faith is the foundation upon which we act. Now, we're not talking about just blind faith, but rather the writer said faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now note what he says. The evidence of things not seen as yet. There are things that you and I, from an empirical standpoint, we haven't seen. We haven't been able to place our hands on certain things. But we believe them. Well, why do we believe them? Well, the word evidence here. This same word is found back in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verse 16. When Paul said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. And that's the word right there. And the idea is that, according to Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that as a result of the Word of God, we can sit down and show someone his or her fault with overwhelming evidence. 
In other words, we have proof that this is what the Bible says. And so I think what the writer is saying is, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence, the proof of things not seen as yet. I said a minute ago, I do not believe that we're talking about blind faith. Matter of fact, in verse 2, he talks about those great patriarchs of the past and how they received a good report. Well, how so? Because they took what God said and then followed those divine instructions. Now, down in verse 3, you remember what the writer said, By faith we understand that the worlds were made or framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen, he said, they're not the result of things which do appear. The writer simply informing us that when God made the world, God did not make the world from material that was already in existence. But rather, God made something from nothing. All right, here's my question. Can I know that there is a God based upon the evidence, the proof of the world that we live in? Well, the answer would be yes, wouldn't it? By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. How did God bring the world into existence? He spoke it, didn't He? The psalmist said, David said many years ago, By the Word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. He spoke and it was done. He commanded it stood fast. Genesis chapter 1-1, In the beginning God made the heavens and the earth. In verse 3, God said, let there be light. He spoke this world into existence. Now we have adequate testimony or proof that there is a designer behind the world in which we live. I mentioned maybe some time back about a debate that occurred in the 1970s between Dr. Thomas B. Warren and Dr. Anthony Flew from Reading, England. Dr. Flew was a renowned atheist. They debated in the state of Texas. I had a friend of mine that said he was present at that debate, an older brother in Christ. And he said he saw Dr. Flew move from atheism to agnosticism during the course of that debate. About 10 years ago, before Dr. Flew died, he came out and acknowledged that he had come to the belief that this world was not the product of chance, but rather the world was a result of design. Many of his peers in the scientific community, they thought he had just gotten older and basically had lost his mind. But I watched an interview with him, a little clip. And the person who was interviewing him asked him, okay, what was it that changed your thinking with regard to design? And you know what he said? DNA. He said, I've always believed you follow the evidence. As a result of the discovery 
of the complexity of DNA, he said that he believed in a higher power. Now, he never came to believe in a personal God, but nonetheless, to admit that there's a God. And so there is evidence for our faith. Now, we talk about creation. Yes, that's evidence for faith in God, but also revelation. How would we know the mind of God without revelation? We couldn't know it, could we? That's why Paul would say all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. The Bible affords us insight into the mind of Almighty God. And you go back and you look at the 66 books of the Bible. The Old Covenant, the New Covenant, the Old Testament, the New Testament. 39 books in that Old Covenant, 27 in the New. And each and every book is in harmony. Well, that wasn't by accident. But rather, 40 different writers over a period of about 1,500 years wrote about basically one grand theme. And you know what that was? Redemption. So that wasn't an, that wasn't an accident. So number one, to define faith. But then secondly, what about the demand? For faith. Now drop down and look at verse 6. In verse 6, the writer said, Listen to him, but without faith it is impossible to be well pleasing to him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Our belief in the Lord is grounded upon what? Creation, revelation. I like what Paul said many years ago in writing to the church at Corinth. Paul would say, we believe, therefore we speak. The faith that I have in Almighty God, it's not some blind, hope so, think so, maybe so faith but rather it is rooted and grounded in divine evidence. Now, here's the beauty of this. That because of faith, we can please the Lord, can't we? Now, the writer said without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing to Him. So the flip side of that would be that if I demonstrate faith, then I can please Him. That I can walk in harmony with His will. Now there are people today that will just tell you right up front, they don't believe in God, don't believe in His Word. There are some who choose not to believe in God because from their perspective, if they believed in God, then there would be some type of binary code by which they would have to live, and so they're not willing to do that. It's easier to just be a renegade and say, you know what, I'll just do my own thing. I'll live as I want to live. I'll be the master of my own ship. Well, Jesus said on one occasion, I always do those things that please Him, John 8, in verse 29. You remember it was said of Jesus on one occasion following His baptism, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We're God's children, aren't we? So if I'm living a life of faith and my life is in harmony with God's will, 
Would it not stand to reason that I could please Him? Well, the answer would be yes. There's a third important thing that we want to talk about for a minute. That is, we want to note how faith is put into action. This has to do with the demonstration of faith. Now, the writer is going to identify a whole host of people whose lives were adorned with faith and obedience to Almighty God. We don't have time to explore the lives of all those who are spoken of in this great chapter. But they comprise Faith's Hall of Fame. And there are some things that we ought to consider in light of what the writer had to say in the long ago. He begins by calling to mind a fellow by the name of Abel. The Hebrew writer said, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. God testifying to his gifts. And he being dead yet speaks. Let's just talk for a moment or two about worshiping by faith. Now you go back and look at Genesis chapter 4. You've got two young men that brought offerings to the Lord. Cain and Abel, they were brothers. The children of Adam and Eve. And in Genesis chapter 4, the Bible says that it came to pass in the process of time that Abel brought forth an offering unto the Lord. Well, what did he bring? The firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. Cain, however, brought forth an offering from the fruit of the ground. Cain was a tiller of the ground. Abel, of course, was a keeper of sheep. So these two young men, they bring offerings to God. And Moses said with regard to those two offerings that God had respect unto Abel and his offering. But unto Cain in his offering, listen to him, he had not respect. Well, what was the difference? Why would God approve of the one and disapprove of the other? Why would He sanction one offering and not sanction the other? Could it have been the case that both of those offerings required the same amount of time to prepare? Would it have been possible for those offerings to have cost the same? We could come up with any number of suppositions. But the fact of the matter is, one offering was accepted and one was not. Now the writer of Hebrews, listen to what he says. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So what would be the logical conclusion here? The conclusion would be, that God had told those two young fellows, this is what you're to offer me. And Cain chose to give God what had not been required, whereas Abel did. Now there's a lesson there for us. To understand that nowhere in Scripture does God ever give man the latitude to decide how he's going to worship him. And there are a lot of people that need to learn that lesson. And there are some folks in the church that have yet to get that memo. 
Now, I know that there are folks in our world today, and there are a lot of people in the world that have no problem at all with instrumental music. And there are some in the church that would say, well, you know, that's really not a salvation issue. I beg to differ. The Bible teaches differently. Matter of fact, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, there is a commentary on these two boys. The Bible says that Cain was of the wicked one. Now, he murdered his brother. But I want you to know what it said about Cain and Abel. The Bible says concerning those two men that what Cain, that his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Don't go to the Old Testament and tell me that you have proof for instrumental music. It's not there. Don't tell me that we have the latitude to offer God something that He didn't require. I can give you two passages in terms of why we sing Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. If you say you can use the instrument, then give me your verses. Tell me where. Now, you know what? Sometimes we need to go back and just restudy the basic fundamentals of the faith. These two boys offered sacrifice to God. And Cain thought in his heart of hearts that what he was offering was okay. And yet God said, by way of commentary, his works were evil. That means if I give God something other than which he has asked for, it is evil. That's something to think about. Now you go home this week and study that. Let that resonate in your mind. And just think about what Jesus said in John chapter 4. God is spirit. And they that worship Him must. That's not an option. That's an obligation. In spirit, that means with the right attitude. And in truth, that means by His authority. Let me tell you one of the problems that we have in the Lord's church today. A rejection of the authority of of Jesus Christ. It's destroying churches. I could give you a list of some congregations that have gone way too far. Now what the Hebrew writer is saying in Hebrews chapter 11 is that we worship by faith. Not only do we worship by faith, but the Bible says we walk by faith. The next example is a man by the name of Enoch. Now back in Genesis chapter 5, two times in Genesis 5, Moses said with regard to this man, he walked with God. Well, that was a life directed by faith. Now look at what the record says, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was translated so that he did not see death and was not found because God had translated him. And before his translation, he had this testimony. Now note that he pleased God. Here is a man that sought to walk in step with Almighty God. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that we walk by faith and not by sight. If I'm walking by faith, then what does that mean? The commentary of that would be found in 1 John chapter 1, when John said, if we walk in the light, that means we're walking in cadence with God's will. 
So if I'm walking by faith, walking in step with the teaching of Almighty God, would I please Him? When the writer said, without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing to Him. Now, if I'm going to be walking by faith, that means I'm going to be walking in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And whatever He says, that's what I want to do. As Jesus said on one occasion, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So we walk by faith. But again, not by blind faith, but rather faith that is directed by the voice of Almighty God. I'm walking in harmony with this truth. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, John said, Hereby we do know that we know Him. All right, John, how do we know that we know Him? If we keep His commandments. So if my goal in life is to walk according to the precepts of Almighty God, am I pleasing Him? Well, sure I am. Now there's another example. Now we talk about worshiping by faith, walking by faith, but then there is a working of faith. Note the next example. The Bible speaks of a man by the name of Noah. And listen to what the record says. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. You go back and you look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. The Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In verse 5, God had said that every imagination of the thought of man's heart was only evil continually. The divine decree was, I'm going to destroy man whom I've created, both man and beast. And God did that by means of a flood, didn't He? And yet, Noah was a man who was blameless in his generation. Here was a man that sought to walk in harmony with Almighty God. In verse 14, God said to Noah in the long ago, I want you to build an ark of gopher wood. Setting forth the dimensions of that ark. And then in Genesis chapter 6, verse 22, the Bible says, Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. So did he. Could Noah draw upon the past and say, You know what, I remember the last time God flooded the world. Couldn't do that, could he? No, when God said, no, I want you to build an ark for the saving of your household because I'm going to destroy the world by means of a flood, Noah immediately got to work. Now look at what the record says again. By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Had he ever seen a flood? No. Faith gives substance and reality to things not seen. That means when God said, I want you to do this, immediately he got to work. And listen to what the Bible says. As a result of his efforts, he saved his household. Would Noah and his family have been saved had he not built the ark? What if he hadn't built three decks in the ark? What if he used some other type of wood? What if he failed to meet the criterion in terms of the dimensions of that ark? It's supposed to be 450 feet in length. It was to have been 75 feet in width, 45 feet in height. What if he'd have said, well, you know, really, you know, he re- you know, I can just do it as I please. Would that have been pleasing to God? So here's my question. 
What would make me think I can get by with less than what the Lord asked of my life, asked of me in my life? You know, there are folks in, this, in the world today, they have the idea that they can alter the Word of God to fit their lifestyle or to fit how they want to live. Listen, the whole tenor of Scripture is revolved around the idea that I am to lay aside my wishes in favor of the Lord's, that I'm to alter my life to fit His teaching. So like Noah of old, when God says, I want you to do this, then I better do it. I better get to work. Now, when it comes to salvation, the finished work of Christ on Calvary, Jesus died to affect salvation for our sins. There's nothing, I can, there's nothing I can do to contribute to the finished work of God through Christ on Calvary. But the idea that I don't have to do anything to be saved is not found in Scripture. In Acts chapter 2, when those people heard the gospel for the very first time in all its fullness, the Bible says they were cut to the heart, pricked in the heart. And you remember what the text says? They cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Well, what did Peter say? Wouldn't it have been a good time for Peter to say, where'd you ever get the idea that you have to do something? I mean, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Who told you that? That you've got to do something. That's false doctrine. No, that's not what he said. And Peter was an inspired apostle preaching an inspired message. And Peter said, number one, you need to repent. Jonah chapter 3, when those people in the city of Nineveh repented when they turned from their wicked ways. Repentance was a work. It's work in putting to death that old person of sin. And then the instructions were to be baptized into Christ for what reason? For the remission of sins. Now look. The only way that I can appropriate the blood of Jesus is by obeying the gospel. Do I have to do something to become a child of God? Yes, I do. I've got to comply with the will of Almighty God. I've got to be willing to submit my life to what the Bible teaches. And the Lord said, you need to repent, you need to be baptized so that you can be added to the body of Christ. Now, I know there are a lot of folks in the world today who don't believe that, but that's what the record teaches. That's what the Bible says. Now, there's a final thought here. It has to do with the wealth of faith. A man by the name of Moses, you remember him? Grew up in the household of Pharaoh. And listen to what the Bible says down in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Now note, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. Here's a guy that had the world at his fingertips. Grew up in the household of Pharaoh? A man learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians? 
And yet he turned his back on all of that. For what reason? Because he realized there is something far more valuable than what the world has to offer. The wealth of his faith. The Bible says, following their deliverance from Egyptian bondage, that he saw him who is invisible by faith. I have never seen Almighty God. Now I know God's a spirit. Never seen him. Never seen Jesus Christ in the flesh. But by faith, I believe in God the Father. By faith, I believe in Jesus the Son. And by faith, I believe that there is something far more valuable than what this world has to offer. The world, the devil says, let me tell you what, hook your wagon to the world, life will be good. But Jesus asked, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world, lose his own soul? So I want to encourage us today to realize there's something far more valuable than what the world has to offer. It's called faith. Faith in God. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I encourage you to come to Christ, believing that Jesus is the Son of God. To be willing to do as they did on Pentecost Day, to repent of your sins, and then confess the name of Christ. Be buried with Him in baptism. Rise to walk in newness of life. Let the Lord add you to the church. Acts chapter 2. Then just be faithful. If you're here today and maybe your life's not what it ought to be and you need the prayers of the church, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. And God will abundantly pardon us. We stand and sing.